Hey, you guys listen to Pro Sports Podcasters. What's up, guys? This is Justin J. Train Gonzalez, former Sparta Combat League champion, former LFA champion of the world, current Bellator number nine in the world ranking, coming for that number one spot. AJ McKee, don't leave the division yet because I'm coming for your ass, buddy. I'm coming. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Colbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Process Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nee Wallace Bruce, and I'm joined by the talented Mr. Corbett Durand, aka Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. How you doing today? I'm pretty good. You and I are both Arsenal fans, and life's pretty good. They've had a pretty good window. The men's and women's teams are both both on top of their respective tables. Times are good, but will these times continue? Don't jinx it. Indeed. Instead of jinxing it, we're going to get some facts. So we brought on a guest all the way from London. It's Tom Canton from Football London, and he's also the host of Laguna Talk TV. Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, very good. Very good. Pleasure to to be invited, and, and thankfully, we finally kind of sorted it out. It's been hectic these last couple of months, so it's good to, to finally speak to you guys. Indeed. It was almost like a transfer window negotiation, a January transfer <laughs> negotiation. Now the window is just clo- <laughs> the window is just closed, and Arsenal made a couple of signings this uh, winter. What's your take on that, and going forward, how that will affect the team? I think um, you know we had ideas about what we would have liked to have seen happen in this window, and if you'd have said to people at the start of the window that they included Trossard and Jorginho and a person that I'm assuming 99% of the fan base probably hasn't heard much about at all. I don't think people would have been particularly enthused necessarily, but when we kind of consider, especially because obviously, and I mean the context is obviously that we were being linked with a lot of very exciting players like yes. Mihailo Mudrik and, uh, and Caicedo. It's not to say that Trossard is not a good player and I think he will prove to be and Jorginho is, is a good player also. But when you start hearing these names and you start talking about £80 million plus figures for players, it suddenly builds up a lot of excitement and anticipation. And I don't necessarily think that was fulfilled by the January window. However... I do think it's been a very functionally successful window. Arsenal needed a midfielder, a forwards, and arguably a defender, and they've managed to secure good players in, in each of those positions in a season where they need immediacy. And in two of those players, Trossard and, and Jorginho, you're effectively guaranteeing yourself that. So I think it's been successful, but it could have been more successful if things had fallen into place. Now, would you say that it's been sustainable? Now, considering that the other side of London seems to be a a money printing factory with checks flying Mm -hmm. out the door like there's nobody's business, is this, uh, I guess, a prelude to maybe more spending in the summertime? 
I, I expect it to because if you consider the fact that we put in a £70 million bid for Caicedo and then ended up spending around £12 million on Jorginho, it immediately will, will give the fan base an expectation of, well, that's £58 million quid we've not spent in the winter window before you even mm-hmm. consider what the budget might be for the summer. So there will be an expectation of spending that will happen. Um, we're already hearing suggestions that Declan Rice is the priority for the club. That's certainly what I understand. And I think that if Arsenal and Edu in particular are going to kind of change the perception of themselves in the market, one of the things they need to do is start getting their primary targets. Um, And if Declan Rice is that primary target and you're either a Premier League champion or certainly a club with title-challenging credentials at that point and and will certainly be looking to try and challenge again next season, you need to get your primary targets and you can't keep missing them. So the expectations are going to be very high in the summer. Indeed. I will say... It's um, in a much more refreshing window compared to Windows Pass, where and you you know what I'm talking about. Back in the day, where <laughs> Gazidis and Wenger seemed to leave it till 11:59 on deadline day, they're trying mm. to send faxes off to Russia and call in favors from UEFA, probably. But um, I feel like things are a bit more organized nowadays. Yeah, they are organized. Um there's still there's still obviously things that need to be refined uh, obviously we have left it quite late again um to get a player on deadline day I, you know there hasn't been a quiet deadline day in a long time at arsenal even with the new setup you think back to uh last summer douglas louise was the player arsenal were trying to sign three bids reject on deadline day you go back another deadline day to january of last year and despite the fact that we all know we needed a forwards the, de- the day was spent trying to get a bamiang out of the door and that was the big story of of that deadline day and we've and and you go back to the one before that we signed Tommy Asu and got Hector Bellerin out the door so you know you consider the fact that we're saying yes we've improved in the window and what we're doing recruitment wise but we are still in a position where we're rushing towards the end um if we are going to kind of strive to try and be a man city you know they are efficient in the market they are cutthroat they get stuff done early and they are set and ready for the season yes of course we saw them do some business yesterday on deadline day which is a bit surprising with Joao Cancelo leaving for Bayern Munich but that was obviously quite spontaneous because of the situation that built around it so I think it's a bit of an anomaly but we need to look to be more efficient and pre-prepared in the window than perhaps we have been mm-hmm. fair enough yeah, Tom, by the way, uh, you were fantastic in The Witcher, so I really enjoyed you there. <laughs> you have no idea how frustrating it is to have a relatively, like, out-there name. Canton's not exactly, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know any other Canton's bar one. And yet somebody who's now in one of the most, well, before uh, Henry Cavill left, you know, one of the yes. most successful series of the last five years or so, that there's someone called Tom Canton in that series. It is, it's incredibly annoying. <laughs> I couldn't resist, sorry. I could I could resist. But getting back to it, would you, would you say that given the acquisition positions that the gunners are better oh yeah without a doubt um i think you you think about what we were at the start of the window and you come to the end of the window and you're saying are arsenal a better team and a better squad now than they were at the start of the window and you say yes whereas if you go back to last january in 2022 we arguably ended that window worse off um mm-hmm. because we allowed players to leave a Yang left we didn't replace him um so yeah of course we're better and i think that you know we've been able to bring in a player that if Partey was to get injured for instance touch wood 
that you've got someone coming in that's you know been already started 15 games for Chelsea this season you know he's not exactly like I know they were happy to or more than happy to see him go and they've spent a ludicrous amount of money on Enzo Fernandez, but he was their starting defensive midfielder so it's not like he's kind of you know on the fringes of things and we've just bought him and needs must you're bringing in someone that's that's not cold that someone's going to come straight in and, and play if need be so yeah we're most certainly better now we are yes and which player on the pitch would you say best represents the Arsenal of today? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think you have to look at a player that's most similar to, not in terms of how Mikel Arteta was as a player, but his expectations of the team. And I think that Martin Odegaard being captain is probably the best example because whilst he he may be not a, a captain in the traditional uh, you know, archaic sense of of shout, shouting and grabbing mm-hmm. players by the scruff of the neck in the dressing room and stuff like that, even though he is very vocal. And I, I remember speaking to him after the, the game against Brighton and I asked him about captaincy and he says he, you know, he speaks when he feels he needs to speak. Um, so, and he will choose his moments to do that. And, you know, I think we saw against Man City, he kind of went at Lukonga a little bit, maybe. It was kind of born from frustration and Lukonga's now left. So how much <laughs> they played a part in affecting his mentality, who knows? <laughs> But I think that Odegaard's style, the way he plays, his how sleek he is on the ball, you know, all of these things combine to into a kind of a encapsulating what Arteta's Arsenal is, and he certainly does represent that. No, fair enough, fair enough. I I gotta agree with you there, one hundred percent. Yeah, you, you you touched on Lukonga, and he's gone across town to Crystal Palace, who happened to be managed by Arsenal great mm. Patrick Vieira. Could this be a low-key way of developing him in the Arsenal way, given that he's going to someone who who has that dog mentality, was a leader for the club? Um, would you say that there's a better fit than him going to Palace? I think that it's a, it's a good move if he was going to move on loan. You know, from my perspective, I would have rather he stayed because I I just feel as though we're a little bit thin um, still in midfield. Like Arteta said he wanted to to bring in another midfielder we have but then we've let one go so arguably by definition we're still short Mm -hmm. Um, but he does need to play he does need to capture that confidence again that he had when he first joined us and was playing regularly and I think impressing at that point as well but he'll play for Palace I've spoken to a couple of friends of mine who work closely with Palace and they feel as though he should get minutes and uh, they needed someone to kind of play in front of Decore um, and of course they've got some exciting young uh, creative talent in that forward line with Eze and Elise to obviously support uh, Wilfred Zaha and either one of Eduard or Mateta whoever they choose to play up top but uh, yeah I think he'll play I think he'll get minutes and I think he'll return to Arsenal in the summer a more valuable if we wanted to move him on or b better equipped to try and challenge to get back into the side again the next season mm-hmm. indeed and one thing that's i guess been said in previous seasons has been that arsenal have never been able to replace patrick vieira it's been a cliche that i've heard now maybe that doesn't come in the form of one player but do you think with a the consortium of midfielders that the club currently has that perhaps Vieira has now been replaced. <laughs> it's it's funny, isn't it? Like, you know, we, we all used to say that, like Arsenal needed to replace him. The irony is actually maybe we needed to replace Gilberto Silva um, yes. because we didn't have a defensive midfielder for so long that was really, you know, the guy that would protect the back four. And we always kind of had back fours after 
Vieira and Gilberto left that needed protecting. You know, the defence has never been in the modern era of the Emirates era of Arsenal, an area where we've coveted the the greats of the defensive Emirates era of Arsenal, to be honest. You know, mm-hmm. we've had players that maybe we got like a cult hero liking for, your Koscielny's, your Gabriel's, your Vermaelens, but we're not talking about Sol Campbell's and Tony Adams's when we do that. Whereas now you look at the defence of Arsenal and you've got William Saliba, who looks like he could be one of the best centre-backs for all the years to come. I love Ben White and his attitude, not just on the pitch, but when he mugs off journalists like me in interviews as well after the games, I think it's hilarious. Um, and Gabriel, I think, has proven a lot of people wrong as well. And I think he meshes really well with Saliba next to him and covers the space that's made absent by when Zinchenko goes off in his, his brilliant wonders. So I think that now with Partey in, we've got a great player there. But I like the fact that I know that we've got behind that player also some really good defenders. And when Jorginho comes in, who isn't necessarily as mobile and you know, won't get the better pitch as much as, as Partey does, he's got such a great defence behind him to still kind of cover those drawbacks and emphasise more so what he's great at, which is when he's on the ball more than anything. Here we go. I'd love to hear that. And let's, uh, I guess, zero in a bit more on your content creation. Tell us a bit more mm. about how you started the Guna Talk TV and also how you came to be today. Well, it's always important because it's, it's sometimes a bit of a misconception because I've run it for so long that people think I started it. I didn't. Um, there's a guy called Craig Scott who started it, who's the guy who now runs Same Old Arsenal, uh, which is another channel. He started the Guna Talk in 2015, at which point I was just kind of guesting on on random podcasts like the Guna Talkers one. I was a guest originally. I was doing a Burkamp Wonderland, who were the first people that kind of gave me an opportunity in the space. And... And then I, I joined, as I say, as a regular guest with him in 2015 um, and through to 2016. And then in 2016, he, he kind of just decided at that point that he wanted to step away from the project and he wanted to focus more on, on stuff uh, of a family aspect um, before obviously re-entering the space later on. But he said he didn't want the channel to die. And so he uh, passed it on to me. We were at about seven to 8,000 subscribers, I think, back then. Um, and the channel had done really, really well. It was one of the fastest growing uh, starter channels. But... I think, as people know, if they ever take anything on from somebody else, you can't replicate what that person... We just talked about, you know, Patrick Vieira there a second ago and saying we need, we've need we always needed a new Patrick Vieira. You're never going to find someone to be able to replicate what that person has done, really, because everyone's their own individual. So I had to take things in, in my direction, um, and it took a long, long... And, and obviously, we saw kind of a, a slow in the growth of the channel initially, because people were subscribed for for Craig's content and for what he wanted to do and I'm not him so I had to do things in my way and slowly we started to build a, a community in in my vision of of the channel and you know fast forward to now the start of 2023 and we're closing in on on 45,000 subscribers in a community in a discord server which is in the hundreds now as well which is fantastic and yeah, I'm really proud of it because I think we've got one of the most kind of objective communities, most of all, in the Arsenal space um, that are accountable, that don't accept abuse, that respect other people's opinions. And yeah, it's, I think it's something that is, is it's difficult to find in a social media murky world that we live in. So yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And yeah, the murky social media world. You only need to look at Jorginho signing yesterday to see yeah. that in in all its glory. <laughs> he has he, he's definitely polarized um, that that signing, but I, I feel like he'll be like you said. He, he adds depth. Um, 
with Partey, so I'm sure it'll be fine. I, th- I think we'll look back in a few months and we'll say that was a good decision. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, something I want to ask you about, Tom, because we don't really get too many opportunities really when it comes down to it is we're on the other side of the pond. Uh, both me and I are based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. The closest mm. club to us is TFC of the MLS. Yeah. H- how aware is the average fan in England of the MLS? It's a good question um, because, you know, Sky had rights to MLS and still, I believe, have rights. I might be wrong, um, but had kind of introduced MLS into the UK a lot more in the last five to ten years or so, I think. And and that's made people more aware. I also think that the transfers that have happened in the last five years, mm-hmm. you know, you think about England now and you're seeing more MLS players move. You're seeing a lot more uh, United States internationals and Canadian internationals also move into the Premier League. Um, and Canada in particular is a really interesting interesting kind of case study because obviously since the the integration and the generation of the CSL you've then seen more funding go into grassroots and you've seen a, a significant improvement in coaching and development of young players that's obviously led to Canada's qualification at the last World Cup the United States obviously progressing through to the knockouts as well once again in a World Cup and obviously they'll look to go even further as will Canada in the the next World Cup when they host it mm-hmm. And I think that's obviously helped a lot with with people in the UK understanding a lot more and wanting to know more about North American soccer and how it works. And uh, and also, when as I've already mentioned, you know, Arsenal brought in Matt Turner. We've also brought in Austin Trusty, uh, yeah. who's gone alone and doing really well at Birmingham. Uh, Miguel Almiron is one of the most high-performing players in the Premier League this season and obviously came from Atlanta. So you've got that side of things as well. And, um, and constantly you're seeing kind of this stream of young players move from the MLS into Europe and be given opportunities. A lot, a lot of the time it was Germany, come as one of, the, one of the more founding countries to take a lot of MLS projects but now it's it's happening a lot more in Italy and and Spain and of course in England as well so yeah I think it's improving all the time but it can always be better but I think obviously that will come from on the other side of the pond back with you guys improving the quality of the MLS in itself and mm-hmm. making taking away that kind of stigma of it being a retirement home for you know experienced European players and instead as is happening become a, a breeding ground for really exciting young talent that develops stays a bit longer than perhaps they might do you know helps build the MLS to a better level and encourage more people to watch it because you know when I do watch the MLS there are some you know you get the little sparks of brilliance here and there from some great talents or from some experienced players that have moved over but obviously the level is still restricted and still does need to improve so you know I think as time goes on with more investment with more development it, it will get more and more attention now, are you aware of the NFT uh, sports platform so rare? I am. Yeah, I used to work for um, uh, a writing platform called 101 Great Goals. Uh, and the guy who employed me there was a big, big fan of so okay. rare. So <laughs> I, I dabbled in like the free trial that you get at the start. Um, yeah. And I would, what I would do is because obviously it's, it's, it's an expensive thing, like, you know, to get involved in if, if you do like, and, uh, I remember trying to like refresh or try a different account to see what kind of players I would get in my starter pack the next time around, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, but I'm aware of it, yeah. Okay, because quite literally yesterday, they finalized the deal with the Premier League. Mm. And they've completely revamped the platform 
to make it a little easier to onboard for the average person because they know they're going to be hitting a much wider audience with the Premier mm. League as a partner. So I was just wondering if there was any news about that on your end, if it's popped up or not. Honestly, no. I was I was listening to some of the the last podcasts you did uh, before we tuned in. Obviously, you did one talking about um, kind of building a team on a budget sort of mm-hmm. thing. And as I say, when my last experience with it is back in 2020, I want to say 21, early 21, late mm-hmm. 2020. Um, and I'm pretty sure it was still pretty infant at that point. Um, yes, it was. Yes. And they'd only just kind of got rights to certain players. And as you say, like there weren't necessarily the Premier League side of things there. And that's only just coming into sort. But not yet. It hasn't yet kind of popped up. But obviously, there's not a lot of marketing for it here in the UK at the moment. Okay. So I think that may change as they now have this deal. So, yeah. All right, cool. Now, here's a question because I think you and I are from a similar pathway because I've I've been playing on PremierLeague.com for about 20 years. I've been playing FPL. <laughs> yeah. De- I'm degenerate. Uh, you know how it is. You, you set your 11. <laughs> you've got your bench of four players. You set your captain. Yeah. Off you go. You've dabbled in so rare. I've dabbled in so rare as well. Tell me this, if you don't mind. How does one adapt from Premier League to so rare, if you don't mind? Oh, wow. I mean... And, cause I know the scoring is a little bit different, but... Yeah, of course. I mean, you you guys are going to know a lot more about So Rare than I do, because um, as I say, it's been a long time since I dabbled in it, and you know the systems and the leagues and the competitions that that go on and the limitations and stuff like that. You know, it's 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 a lot more complex the Premier League, and I think that's probably as you say, you know, a second ago talking about how they're going to re- they're revamping it for the Premier League, they're going to make it more accessible. That's going to be the best advantage because. It was initially a bit of a turnoff at the at the start because it was so difficult to work out what I was kind of doing with it, if you know what I mean. And yeah. because it was so infant, you've not got loads of YouTube compilations of people explaining stuff about it. Whereas obviously, two and a bit years later, that's a lot more accessible in that way. But if um, if this is the plan to make it a lot more accessible to you know the average supporter, because when I was there and looking at the marketplace, I'm going. I want to get my favorite player, but I'm going to have to invest half my mortgage in getting him. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> you know, so that's, it's, it's a very interesting platform. And obviously the NFT world is, is something I haven't personally dabbled in at all. And if it was ever going to be something I looked into, it would have to be something I'm passionate about, which obviously for a lot of people like me is football. So it, it's a really niche marketplace for that sort of thing. I will say this. If you ever do get in, Eddie and Kelly is cut price. For whatever reason, he's at is he? He's at the base level price. Um, I don't know why, but <laughs> he's, he must he's be exceptionally be... popular then to be bought. Surely, <laughs> yeah, he'll be he'll be definitely one of the highest selected ones. But I mean, is it true that uh, Gabriel Jesus has just returned to training or is about to return to some form of training? He posted to his Instagram story that he's outside. He loves to leave these little hints. Um, <laughs> I think he's willing it into existence more than anything. Um, so I am, I'm cautious to kind of say, oh, yeah, yeah, he'll be back in two weeks' time. No, no he won't, you know. Um, there's a lot of talk about Feb, March. I think it is more March um, that we'll probably be looking. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope he comes back early. We've had players, you know, return quicker than expected, but... I think it is more likely to be March than February, but that's fine because that's when the Europa League gets back underway. And, you know, until then, we've just got to focus on the Premier League. And as long as Eddie stays fit, you know, happy days because I think he's been fantastic. Happy days indeed. And if anything that I've learned being in North America is that you don't trust those injury prognosis mm. timelines. If someone says, 
day to day, I say, okay, week to week. If someone says week to week, I say month to month. <laughs> and if someone says month to month, you're done for the season. <laughs> yeah. Sign up to SoRare, the ultimate fantasy sports NFT platform. Scout, collect, and trade officially licensed digital player cards with other fans in our open marketplace. Create teams with cards from your collection and earn points based on your players' real-life performances to compete in a variety of fantasy sports competitions. SoRare is a game that you can play this season and the next and the next and the next. It's almost like a, a dynasty spin on fantasy. It's available in formats such as NBA, MLB, and also football, the world game. So what are you waiting for? Get involved. Get in the game, get some cards, and have some fun. Oh, did I tell you it's free, by the way? Yes. You just sign up, create an account, and then you can start playing. And if you want to go a little bit harder and purchase some limited, rare, or unique cards, you can do that too. But at a base level, this is really just a free, fun way to play with your mates and show who's really in the know when it comes to sports. Because Process Podcasters, we know our thing. But so rare is a chance up against us and see who really is the smartest in the room. So hit the link in the show notes and we'll see you on So Rare. Own your game. Speaking of projections and looking at timelines, it sounds like an obvious question, but what are you looking at for the remainder of the season and the summertime for Arsenal? Of course, we just need to keep on this this winning run um, toward what we all pray and hope and are, again, using the terminology of willing it into existence, a Premier League title, because it has been so long and it yes. has been 19 years and no one, no, I, I, I really have struggled to, to see anyone that was saying, oh yeah, Arsenal are going to compete for the title this season. <laughs> like, no, really nobody was saying that. Um, realistically, there might have been some pipe dreamers out there. Um, but we all thought this would be a year where, you know, we have to get top four this season. That's well, right. I think that's done, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> and I hate to be that committal to something with only half the season done. But if we're honest, you know, this is a season where Arsenal and Man... Well, let's just say Arsenal at the moment. Arsenal are by far the standout team of the season. And Manchester City are the obvious candidates for our rivals, but them themselves have had issues. And the teams that are behind them aren't so far behind them either. So it's not like it's us and them blitzing our way ahead. You know, we've got a game in hand that can go eight points clear of them at the top, which is a ludicrous position to be in for considering what we thought this season would be. And I'm very hopeful that we continue on this run and that the signings we've made this January have re kind of re-strengthened us, you know, reinforced us to enable us to do that. But yeah, as Arteta says, and as you just said a few moments ago, with injuries, it's game by game that we have mm-hmm. to take this. Just win the next one and then roll on to the next game. That's right. And you touched on, uh, you mentioned City, which is mm. interesting on two fronts. How, firstly, the inclusion of Zinchenko and Jesus, how much of a difference has that made in terms of the the mentality of the team from your conversations with the players? Mm, it's Zinchenko is one of the most interesting human beings I've ever encountered. Um, he's like for his age, and he's only twenty five. He has to be one of the most mature guys 
that that you know that I've come across in the sport because he's just so driven and focused and demanding of those around him no matter how old you are no matter if you've got seven more years of experience on top of him you know he drags that team and I actually think that his signing is more important than Gabriel Jesus's signing uh, I think that he is so transformative to what stylistically we're doing but also from a mentality perspective what we're doing and I think that's why even though Jesus has been out we've continued to to dominate and impress and implement this style of play that Arteta is cultivating here so without a doubt those two as a as a pair have been brilliant and transformative as I say but Zinchenko on his own you know just from a character standpoint is just gloriously different to what we have had before him. Mm-hmm. And just one of the outcomes from Arteta's style of play has been the, I guess, the spreading of the wealth, the the different goal scorers, the many goal scorers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like there's one specific outlet. It's almost like he's he's doing the the Man City model better than Man City, especially now that City have brought in Haaland. Um, What's your take on that? City are—they're a juggernaut in the sport. You know, they are a team that just never look like they'll go away ever. Um, it's like a pesky roommate um, that you can't get rid of. I think that they will always be up there for the foreseeable future. I can't see them falling away like Liverpool have or Chelsea have. And maybe Chelsea will again start coming up again because they've got similar money to what Man City have always had now. And I know we always talk mm-hmm. about Chelsea having a lot of money, but this is on a different level to even Abramovich. Um, so they are a concern, obviously. And Newcastle are going to be up there as well, you know, with the money they've got. And the, the Premier League is becoming a just an all-encompassing money magnet that's now annoying La Liga who are coming out you know today and saying there's dope financial doping going on in the Premier League and the reality is that there's not much that's stopping it like with Man City in particular there's nothing that stopped Man City from doing it even when they came close to breaching FFP they appealed it and they got away with it and nothing has ever come since from that you know so it was a kind of an example of where they could have really put a put down on one of the teams that are spending big and you know it buckled and they allowed them to do what they've done and they continue to do it but you know at the end of the day they've got a brilliant brilliant manager in Pep Guardiola who just continues to churn out title after title trophy after trophy you look at Liverpool they tried to do it you would have thought they would have had years of dominance they've won a Champions League and a Premier League you know they've obviously won the FA Cup last season but they they haven't been able to sustain it and you look at the machine that City is they are able to sustain it because they are so meticulous in their planning and with their preparedness for what they're doing and then they go out and buy the best striker arguably on the planet last summer as well to add to it all which has its impacts of course because I think it's bottlenecked the team of it yes. but you know, it's still it's still a, a massive, massive thing to just continue to churn out top performance after top performance. And, and that's what Arsenal are up against. So it, it's even more... If we win the title this season, the invincible achievement is an unrivaled achievement in terms of what it is individually. But as an achievement of winning the league, to be able to win this specific Premier League in the time that we are now, with the club that we are, with the resources that we've had up until this point, with the manager that we've got, would be unbelievably amazing. So, yeah, it's it's something special if we can do it. Yeah, that's a good point because Arsenal built their stadium. City had theirs kind of more handed to them. and they, I, know they've, I know they've touched it up, but it was effectively handed to them. They didn't have that that anchor, and I think people forget that. But anyway... Yeah, Tom, let's go back to the beginning here. Why Arsenal? 
Um, yeah, it's a it's it's a family thing. Uh, I, my granddad, uh, my dad's dad, uh, passed away before I was born, and my nan would uh, tell me kind of more about him and you know how he had a liking for Arsenal, and so that that kind of kind of kick things on a bit and obviously then you get influences you grow up and you, you watch football and you get those influences there and you know there's always that point in a young kid's life if you're not if you haven't got necessarily a, like a, a mum or a dad who's like um necessarily football crazy like my dad is a is a Gillingham supporter who is one of the local teams around where um where I was born uh, which is just south of London in Kent it's like the, the main football league team it might even be the only league team uh, in Kent which is kind of the the county in the southeast down here what division is that they're in league two so okay. um you know their fourth fourth tier uh, of English football, and uh, obviously, I, I Arsenal has always been a quite expensive place to be able to go to. So I spent my childhood going a lot to Gillingham games. I'd watch Arsenal on the telly because that was the accessible way for me to watch them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the football I would go to on a on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon um, would uh, would ultimately be would be Arsenal because we didn't have Sky. We didn't have like um, I didn't have the ability to watch Arsenal through subscriptions. My parents wouldn't wouldn't pay for. Um, like a Sky or a, well now it's called BT but I think you had like Satanta back then or something like that mm. so yeah I, I ultimately I eventually got to my first Arsenal game when I was 17 which is quite late you know in, in the UK for uh, for an Arsenal supporter when you're based here and obviously now globally we have such a global fan base that there are fans of all ages that have never been able to go for a game and it kind of you take it for granted in, in a sense so it was still quite late from that context of things but yeah it's just I just love the the class of the club, the the community feel of the club. And when I was growing up, there wasn't really any other many Arsenal fans around me. It was mainly Man United and uh, Chelsea, Liverpool. Even though I live down south, mm-hmm. it's just the way that it is. You know, Man United was such a dominant force. Chelsea was starting to get a lot of money uh, from 2005 onwards. And so Arsenal, as they fell away from being that, juggernaut of success in the late 90s and and early noughties Uh, and that was when I was around 10 you know when you start to get into your teens you aren't seeing as many Arsenal fans pop up out of nowhere because and and that's something that why another reason why we need to make sure we win the league this season because we need to re-inspire a generation to start you know to choose Arsenal as a team it's mental how big Chelsea are globally I think they have overtaken Arsenal globally in terms of their supporter base so it shows you how key, how key it is to be successful, and that's important. But yeah, it was it was a family thing initially, and then just developed from there. Okay, cool, cool. And if I mention Wrexham to you, do you know what I'm talking about? I do indeed. Yeah, I do. Okay, so we have the Canadian via Hollywood connection to Wrexham. <laughs> is it a respected? thing going on there, or is it considered a bit of a joke by the the Brits? I think it would depend who you talk to. Okay. There are, I saw a tweet the other day, Gary Lineker interviewed Ryan Reynolds um, ahead of the game against, it was Sheffield United, wasn't it, that they played against. And, um, you know, I saw someone, I can't remember who it was, but it was a journalist, like, quote tweeting it saying, like, this kind of Hollywood fanfare is embarrassing. And I remember reading that and going, like, why on earth do you care this much? Like, <laughs> like why, why is this, like, angered you to the point where you feel the need to put a tweet out about it? Like, 
I'm very much like that. Um, and just like, I, I question why people get so angry about certain things. So when you ask me there, is it considered a joke? If it, if people think it's a joke, I, I really question why on earth it affects your life that much that you can have such a negative view of of a, a club in, you know, in the lower leagues and the non-league, getting investment, going on this magical uh, journey of hope and you know, just imagine being that blessed that your club that you've supported for so long that's never, you know, they've had moments, you know, they've got obviously history of Arsenal as well from a very yeah. famous cup game as well. But mm-hmm. you've never been able to see that club. You never dream of seeing your club get to the stage where you think, wow, in the future, we might be something, something, you know, more than what we are now. Mm-hmm. And the fact that some Hollywood giants have come into a club and, you know, bankrolled it in that way, you know, I can't really have any negative view towards it, to be honest, because it's. I just look at the fans and how much they're enjoying it. And obviously, I'd look at the fans of their rivals in that league and they must be looking very enviously. But if it was the other way around, I'm sure they'd be absolutely buzzing. So, yeah. you know, it's... I, I can't I can't fault it. I you know, I think it's great. You know, just football's a sport to enjoy. I don't really know why we have to, you know, moan about so much <laughs> involved in it for so often. Well, I mean, on this side of the pond it's it's fantastic. It's it's nothing yeah. but positive, right? Because it's shining a light on a sport that's been sort of passed over for the longest mm-hmm. time, right? It doesn't get nearly as much attention as it probably deserves on this side, and especially in a place like Canada, which is so multicultural. Like, I think a lot of families mm. here, if you were to ask them, you know, what's the, the world's you know greatest sport, it's, you're, you're going to be surprised. A lot of them are probably going to say football slash soccer, right? Because yeah. it's just they don't have the the avenue to really enjoy it here, right? You know, other mm. than getting up early on a Saturday and, <laughs> and watching it. But, <laughs> but it's actually the, the whole Wrexham connection and the fact that they've put together the Netflix special, the whole thing, I think has just really increased the awareness of the sport on this side. Yeah, and I think the fact that it's, they've invested in a Welsh club as well. You mm-hmm. know, it's not like they've gone to an English team in the in non-league. You know, football in Wales has always been. You know, whenever Cardiff would get up to the Premier League, or whenever Swansea would get up to the Premier League, it was sort of seen like you know, isn't it great to see a, a Welsh team you know get that high? And it's it's a case of like. I, I just, you know, it's, it's it's always, everyone always wants to put a label next to something. I just think it's a great to kind of go into a team that's not been necessarily given so much love financially in, in historical, yeah, in, in its history. And so to see that is great. And obviously to then see that connection with the US and give them something beyond, you know, the big Real Madrid's, Barcelona's, Arsenal's, Man United's of this world and say, yeah. no, this is a real kind of underdog story in a way. They're not necessarily underdogs in the context of their own league anymore because of the money that they have, but certainly trying to build up to the top is, is, a, is a great thing to kind of show fans who are new to the sport or not that aware of the sport that, it goes way beyond just those that are lifting the tro- trophies at the very top, which is, is great. So, on another note, so how, how expensive is it to see an Arsenal game now? Last time I went, um, which obviously because I go now, um, very privileged to be able to go and watch it as press. Um, I don't have to go through the toils that I know a lot of fans do to get tickets. But it depends, obviously, on what game you go to. If you go to an away game, I'm pretty sure they're still capped at around £30. So what's that, about $35, $38 or so? Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, these days it's probably thirty dollars. <laughs> the pound has been so bad. Um, but uh, in terms of 
Away games, that's that's capped. Home games, though, depending on who you see, uh, a Cat C game can, as I say, probably be around thirty to forty pounds. A Cat B game, you're looking at fifty to sixty, and then for Cat A's, you know, you're looking at City Spurs, Chelsea, London derbies. You're going up to eighty plus for a ticket. It's expensive still, very expensive, but we're doing very well. So you don't really hear, hear people talking about how much Arsenal charge. What you do hear about unfortunately, is third-party sites reselling tickets. Um, ah. That's the big problem we have at the moment, is that this, the, the ticket scheme sells out so quickly because, unfortunately, you've got like bots operating in the background, allegedly kind of picking up tickets and then reselling them on, on third-party websites for hundreds of pounds um, because they know people will pay it. Yeah. So it's it's that's the the big issue that Arsenal face at the moment. It's it's not filling the stadium. It's that uh, it fills too quickly and people are taking advantage of it. Ah. Yes, yes, it's a similar issue we have on this side with StarPub and Ticketmaster. But um, anyway, hmm. um, let's talk about Mr. Wenger. He left, I think it's almost five years now. Can you see Arsene Wenger coming back to the club in some capacity in the future? Maybe a director or some sort of management position? No, not really. Um I can see him being maybe like an ambassador, but I don't see him being or having any kind of role that sees him have any kind of weight or decision-making kind of uh, ability in the team. I think that his exit from Arsenal really hurt him. I think that's why it's taken him so long to, to come back. I know he's had other jobs going on. He's working at FIFA and being sport and things like that, but it's it's not hard to get back to it to, to watch a team every now and again uh, especially if you're if you're that person that can get in and Arsenal would have welcomed him back with open arms to see a game without any issue at all but he was very hurt by that process and it's taken a long time I think to heal that and Arteta has always spoken so passionately and openly about Wenger and about how he wants him back about he is kind of um, there's I don't know if you've seen some of the videos of when Arsenal sign players but you can see like Arsene Wenger's posters put up in the background as they enter London Colney at times Mm. and he's Arteta's been really kind of proactive in making sure Arteta uh, Arsene Wenger sorry is kind of a crucial identifying factor of the club so I think that's obviously helped to repair some of the the damage that was done previously but no I don't think he will be given any kind of role that has a weight in any of the decisions that are made but I could be wrong but I don't see that happening Fair enough and I know hindsight has 2020 vision but you think anything could have been done differently with the way his exit was handled it could have been done sooner, and, you know, and I don't mean that uh, in a sordid way, but I unfortunately do think that it just it went on too long, and maybe if the if if a decision had been made, you know, sooner and they hadn't have decided to offer him a new contract after say either the 2014 FA Cup uh, victory or the 2015 FA Cup victory uh, or the 2017 FA Cup, you know, any of these times that we won the FA Cup he could have moved on and it probably would have been a really good finishing point for him. But when it reached the point that it did, you know, you've just seen the club bought out fully by KSE. You've now got Raul Sanyehi as head of football. You've brought in Sven Mizdentat to be key recruiter at the club. Ivan Gazidis is considering his own future. Uh, Vinkai Venkateshem has come into the uh, team as kind of a commercial lead at that point. And so... No, I don't think it could have been done any differently it, at that point. It had to be as ugly as it did to, to, to move him on. 
and it, I, I love everything he did uh, in, a, in the positive years and the golden years and even in the difficult years when we had to make top four you know it still was a really good achievement to do that with the money that was available supposedly to him but mm-hmm. unfortunately things soured a lot and, and he has to, to take some ownership of that it's not all him and certainly there's external factors that played a part but unfortunately there is a lot of you know part of it that he is responsible for Mm-hmm. And it was indeed the Cronkies who, who, I guess, made the decision. How are they viewed nowadays by the public and the, the fans over there? Um, I mean this with the utmost of respect, but, you know, us supporters can be quite fickle beings sometimes. <laughs> you know, we're winning at the moment and we are heading potentially towards a title. And you don't see Cronky out, you know, at all. And if we're being honest... When they took full control of the club in 2018, if you, and it's a big thing to take away, but if you take away the Super League fiasco, which, if we're honest, was a thing that all the big clubs were doing, and I can understand why they entered themselves into something that Liverpool, Man City, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Chelsea, you know, everyone was doing. I can see why they were probably peer pressured at that point and thinking, well, we can't not be involved in this, especially considering we're sitting so far down the table. Mm-hmm. We can't risk not being involved. So I can't, I have an, a level of empathy. Even though I'm collectively furious at the, you know, the whole process, the whole decision to do that, but if you take the Super League aside, they have pumped money in since 2018. They have invested in the team. We've they've backed Arteta, and I can't really. I I don't know what more we can ask other than to, for them to do a Todd Bowley and just invest more money, and stupidly so. So they are viewed. Uh, they're not talked about really is the honest answer. And that's probably because people don't really want to give them any praise because obviously we look at them so disdainfully of the years from 2007 when they first got involved through to 2018 where they were seen as these villains, as these lack of caring people, you know. Um, and I have criticisms of them back then, but I also understand if they, if you don't fully own something, I have to respect the fact that you might not want to put a lot of money into something that has and is partly owned by other people that you may not particularly like. Um, And certainly they didn't like the fact that Alicia Usmanov, for instance, was, and thank goodness he never bought the club, by the way, you know, like they didn't particularly like that he owned part of the club. So why would you invest millions and millions and millions into something that is also part owned by somebody else? So I have got empathy for that. I have got understanding for that. And I'm very thankful now that since they took full control, you can see care, you can see engagement, you can see a willingness from Josh's part to really engage and repair and rebuild a relationship with the fans. You don't see it from Stan. I don't think we ever will. I don't think this is really his baby. I think it's Josh's. And I don't like talking about Arsenal as a massive thing that it is as someone's baby, but in blunt terms, that's what it is when you own something, you know. So... I'm very happy with the way things are going at Arsenal. I'm very happy with the way in which we're investing our money. I'm very happy with where we are as a club. And you have to give credit to the ownership. And I think fans are starting to, but I still think there's a lot of reluctance to do that from the wider fan base, publicly at least. Fair enough. I must say we're very happy with the way this interview went. We know we can find (laughs) you on Twitter at Tom Canton Media. Where else can we find you on social media? Yeah, as, as you said, Tom Cantor Media is my uh, my media uh, Twitter account. You can find us at the Guna Talk TV if you want to just tune in for the Arsenal YouTube side of things, or just the Guna Talk on on YouTube. And you can find all of my written work uh, at Football London. So there you go. Fantastic. Well, we appreciate your time. Pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you on. Awesome having you on, buddy. Yeah, it's been it's been a real pleasure. 
Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience, where no sport is left behind.